Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, Puviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. We have a great episode for you today with an amazing and intelligent guest, writer, and world traveler, Bailey Alexander, joins the show. Bailey is the author of A European Odyssey, How a Boxer's Daughter Found Grace. If you enjoy reading detective novels, this book is for you, and especially if you've missed travel. The story begins with a confession when Bailey's mother shares a family secret, but throughout the book, it also answered many questions about her family. Bailey felt the need for an adventure. She began one with a transatlantic voyage on her sailboat, followed by a nomadic lifestyle in Europe. Bailey was in search of her home and herself. She began in Rome, moved on to Paris where she felt time moved too fast until it stopped, then a death and financial loss. Homeless and broken Malta, failure was everywhere. It's a tremendous book of discovery, something I really enjoyed, and one of my favorite books that I've read this spring. On today's episode, Bailey reflects on writing the book and how it was reliving some of the difficult memories. Bailey also remarks on the importance of keeping a diary or a blog, something to track not only the events of one's life, but also the feelings and emotions she encountered, and how that diary greatly assisted her in the writing of A European Odyssey. Bailey also talks about her travels and what she's personally gained from living in some of the most legendary cities of Europe. And finally, Bailey chats about the podcast that she hosts, a couple of Europhiles on cultural realities. The podcast discusses the European Union from the perspective of its member states with its grand history, art, and culture. The show explains a way through storytelling and personal experiences. This is a really, really fun conversation. I just learned so much from Bailey. She's incredibly intelligent and is worldly. She's not just a writer or a thinker viewing ideas and situations from afar. She's lived it. By living in some of these amazing cities, she's gained a reservoir of experiences and knowledge. And I think it's part of the reason she is such a gifted writer. She's always ready to learn and is someone who taught me a lot. And it was just an absolute delight in being able to chat with her. Thrilled for everyone to meet her. So let's go ahead and bring on author Bailey Alexander and let's learn. Your book, A European Odyssey, How a Boxer's Daughter Found Grace... What inspired its creation, and what did you learn about yourself through the writing process? I learned the importance of keeping a diary, <laughs> which I did in the form of a blog. And I started this uh, back in Rome, back in uh, 2003. And prior to that, I kept a journal, which is very important for a writer. And I think it can prove critical uh, in recalling specific events, especially if you're as nomadic as I have been. Did you experience sensory overload? And so my advice is to keep a journal, a blog, or both. Um, however, it was interesting because writing about past and often crucial events and then meditating on them, at least those that were worth writing about that contributed to the arc of this gypsy life that I led, I realized my attitude had changed <laughs> because thankfully we mellow over time. So by the time I got really serious about writing, and the craft of writing and finding my voice, by that time, I no longer took myself so seriously, although the topics were, were quite serious. And then also, I'll just, I'll just leave that question. I think there's a great quote um, by Joan Didion, and she suggested that it's a great idea to keep on familiar terms with your former self. Mm. Because when I wrote this book, I really needed to tap into my former self. So especially when you're revisiting your past, either for a book or a blog or you know, there could be any reason under the sun, right? Yeah. So um, anyway, keep keeping on terms with your good terms with your former selves and keeping a blog. I think you're pretty good. 
That's a fantastic quote. And I'm going to ask you more about tapping into those former memories. But I'm first curious about when you do journal just in your regular process, what type of thoughts are going into it? What type of emotions are you focusing on when you are journaling, whether it be on the travels or trips or just regular daily life? Just keeping track of what I'm up to. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, when I was traveling so much, as you know, my book is about I, I lived in a half a dozen European capitals and I traveled a lot prior to that. And so it's just keeping track of events keeping track of when I did what, um, because there were just many, even minor details I would have forgotten had I not journaled them. So not maybe so strong on emotions, but more more tracking events. Well, you talked about the quote of being true to your former self. So during the writing process, was it difficult reliving some of those more challenging, difficult memories that you had experienced? Oh, you better believe it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I went through, when my mother died, I experienced what, uh, again, this is Joan Didion, um, I experienced what they call a pathological grief, which is basically a complicated grief. And if you read my book, you'll understand why. And so writing about my mother's death was one thing, but then, then you have to edit and you have to edit some more. Yeah. And you know, as you're a writer, it, writing is like gardening, like mowing my lawn, is an accumulative process. So you have to keep doing it. You have to keep writing and editing and dealing with it and then distancing yourself at, from it until it's just right, until it's it's honest, you know? And when I was really deep in that grief, um, I decided to take a trip to Auschwitz. Mm. And writing about that trip was not difficult at all because I obviously I kept a blog about it. But going to Auschwitz really affected my grief because I wanted to go there and, and, and just sort of meditate on death. And once you've gone to Auschwitz, you know, you, it, it inspires you to get back on to get back with the living. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's, it's it a, was a good thing. Good thing for me. It's definitely a place that produced a lot of emotions for me that when I was there, you, you did mention one thing right there about editing and, and writing in the process. And you said you try to get it just right. So I, I'm curious, how do you know when something you've written is just right? You know, it was fascinating. I, I hired an editor. I actually hired a well-known editor um, who'd worked on a lot of um, amazing books. But it was interesting. He actually didn't take out, he didn't edit my work. He, we worked on development structure, this type of thing. At times, I thought some of my pieces were, you know, could be construed as diary-like, right? Because I'm writing a memoir. But my adventure was pretty grand. And so he really thought that I what is your, your question is how to get it right. You know, you, you have to keep editing it. Mm. And, and, I, and, the, and the more you edit, the more you realize what you need to keep going back and what really resonates and what you think will resonate with the reader because you're writing, you're trying to write about universal things, right? Yeah. I'm writing about me, but I need people to relate. Like I was surprised that some people called my book a detective novel mm. because I was uncovering clues along the way, which I didn't realize, but I was, I was searching for a home. And so I really kept, I, I wanted to just keep it. How, how do you keep it universal? You keep it just by writing it, by, by going back to the same thing over and over again and knowing that's what you really, that was critical in your, the arc of your life, as opposed to something that you were just, you know, shall we say obsessed with or, you know, I mean, I think there's a saying, I mean, I didn't have any ax to grind with people, but they say, you know, if you have an ax to grind, you know, hire an attorney. <laughs> so, and then also, you know, because I was, I was writing around the age of 50 before and after I had mellowed. So all those dramatic events that happened earlier 
I was writing about something that happened 20, 25 years prior and a brother's death had happened 30 years before. And those, those things had mellowed in my mind and my attitude completely changed because as a lot of people know, some of your listeners, once you reach that, I don't know why people keep saying that, but I've heard this from Mark Maron and all these well-known writers. Once you reach 51, 52, 53, Randall, you just don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you no longer care as much as you did back when you were 40 or 45 or 20 or 25. Do you know what I mean? I, I completely know what you mean. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, actually. Yeah, you just mellow, right? Yeah, that, that, that's profound. It's, yourself, it's profound and accurate. And you take yourself less seriously. And it's good to keep hammering it, though. You can't, you know, for these people that are trying to write so many words every day, write every day because it's an accumulative process. But, you know, keep on going back to what resonates. You know, you've got to keep going back and you have to keep editing it because those sentences, those individual sentences have to sing. So once you keep going back to them, then you know what's working. I think, you know, and that's why I think this editor didn't, I was surprised he didn't take my stuff out, but that's because I spent years on it. You know, I just, I didn't try to rush through it. Now in 2002, you had an amazing adventure. You sailed across the Atlantic. When you think back to that experience, what are the first memories that come to mind? Well, you know, it was funny because, um, I mean, everything was about it. Everything about it was funny to me in, in <laughs> hindsight because it was a nightmare for me. It was my husband's fantasy, but I wanted to get across the pond. And in retro- in hindsight, it's very funny. So we spent months, tri- we had a 43-foot nauticat, right? So we spent months tricking it out, buying new sails, gen set, satellite phone, backup weather systems. We, we This boat was ready to go. And because it's a 43-foot nauticat, those boats are built by the Finns for the Baltic Sea. It's a very serious offshore sailing boat, right? So anyway, we, we sail across the Atlantic. We, we make it to the Azores, to the middle of the Atlantic. And there we are, Randall, with these crazy guys. And I remember specifically this one guy named Clemens. He was a German guy. And he was stoned the entire time. We were only there for two or three days. But the guy's just, he was just sailing on weed and a prayer. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think he had a map. And there was something so... Um, oh, how do I say? There was just something so beautiful about it, yeah. his spirit, you know. We got so serious about figuring out everything, making everything right. And he was just cruising, you know. I mean, he had the spirit of the true sailor. So I love that. And then also I love, there were, there were two things. There, there, were, there were the moon, there was the moon, and there were the stars. Yeah. And then there was a third thing. There were the dolphins. Mm. Because when we were out in the middle of the Atlantic, Randall, Every day at four o'clock, like like clockwork, two, three dozen dolphins came to play at our bow. And it was it was just magical. It, it was joyful. You know, it was pure joy. And, you know, there's only those things. And we almost died. I mean, let's you know, there was a very you know, what, what happens is at least back then in 2002 when we, we were sailing across the Atlantic, you had to check in. You had to report your weather to the weather system, right? Because what you were hoping is you wanted to get the next weather report of someone else who had gone through where you were going, Yeah. right? Now, what if someone hasn't done that? Well, someone had not done that. And we were, we, I, I just don't even ask me where we were, but we, we were somewhere and, and we were just for three days, we were just like a, like a, just like a little cork in the middle of the sea. And we were thrown about and there was nothing we could do. And we all thought, there were three of us at this point, we thought we were going to die. We didn't, we made it, but it was just so terrifying. Yeah. 
But, you know, they're also, you know, and here I'll just end it because I love this part. This is my favorite part. I don't think everyone else gets it. But prior to our sailing across the Atlantic, we went to the Caribbean to get bare boat certifications, okay? So this is a two-week course. It's the very intense course where you're learning about engine maintenance, sail, you know, just, you know, sailing and, and, and all this type of stuff. So, so after this intense two-week course, Randall, we, we take the we take the test and my husband passes with flying colors. He's brilliant, he gets the certification, he's happy. But the captain who administered the test, he pulled me aside and he said, Bailey, he said, I want you to promise me something. I want you to promise me that you never ever do any serious sailing. Wow. Do you promise? <laughs> you know, I said, sure. I said, <laughs> so, so I failed miserably, but you know what, Randall, I made it across the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if I can do it anyway. No serious sailing. Oh, no problem. I'm just going across the Atlantic. It's just the pond. We'll be all right. <laughs> I love your point about the, the stars and the moon because another guest I've chatted with, they said that has been the highlight of the trip was just in the middle of nowhere when the, the, the stars are shining the brightest they've ever seen. One thing that I love about you is that you've lived in some of the most dynamic cities in the world. I have a feeling that each one of those locations, you have gained something in each location and you've taken that with you. So what do you feel you've gained from each city that you've lived? Well, I lived in a lot of them. You know, we were in Rome for three years, yeah. in Paris for three years, in Prague and Bucharest and Malta. And what, what I started doing, Randall, is I started treating each of them like a personality. So basically so I could study them and then therefore study myself because I was searching for a home. But what was so fascinating, and this really applies to today and COVID, is that, for example, Rome completely changed my sense of time. Because when you live in Rome, and I'm not alone, you feel like time has stopped. You feel like time doesn't exist. You know, you have the, the heavy, the weight of the, the Roman history, the, the weight of the Roman emotion. I mean, it's multi, multi bizante. It's very different than where I live here up in northern Italy. It's just very, very heavy. Then I live in Paris. And Paris is just all these pretty fantastic distractions. And everything is very light and airy. And yet the French are they're so comfortable with sadness. Mm. And this is when I was going through the death of my mother and they just embrace it, they love it. Women I didn't even know, that I barely knew, they would pull me aside and just say one or two things. So Paris was like that. Paris was just lightness and heaviness. And then Prague was, um, I mean, here, here's a funny story. So when I lived in Prague, we lived in Prague for a year. And I have to ask, Randall, have you ever heard of the pirate party? I don't believe so. I've been to Prague, but I, haven't, I don't believe I've heard of that, no. Okay, so the Pirate Party was started by Rick Falkvingy, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it used to be a fringe political party that uh, 10, 15 years ago started gaining, it was by the techies for copyright uh, laws and this type of thing. So then uh, they started developing their own manifesto and, 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 and making it so that the, like in Germany, that everyone could identify with it and apply it to the, all their issues, like child care and all of these things. So anyway, they're called the Pirate Party. And now they're very serious. In fact, they might be running the Czech Republic, which is really kind of profound, very profound, just to bring the story full circle. So Randall, so I'm in, I'm in Prague. I don't really know that much about the Pirate Party, but my husband has always followed them. And they've got a major international conference held in Prague while I live there. And so he said, Bailey, let, let's throw them a party. 
Now my husband had to go. He was in Kazakhstan. So I'm there alone and I attend the conference. It's a very long story. I have no idea who's going to show up. About 75 people showed up at my apartment that night. And they were, they were just to give you, because I, I do a podcast about cultural realities. So there they were, they were, they were all the German, they were all the German journalists and, and pirate party members arguing feisty, fabulous engagement. Um, the Dutch, the Germans, the, I don't know, the Finns, all of these people. And then of course the English were there and they appeared very cynical and sort of opportunistic. And then when the Italians walked through my door, all they wanted to see was the wine selection. <laughs> so it was just, you know, I don't know. It was just this wonderful sort of all, all, of, all of these countries in my house in one city. And, and Prague was just magical because it's so mysterious and it's still mysterious, you know? It's still bohemian. It's still, still, it still has, that, it has that cafe culture. Like the cafes are more beautiful than they are in Austria. The lighting, there's just something magical about that place. So Prague was fantastic. Venice, I lived, uh, I lived aboard near Venice. Um, and they all sort of changed my life in a different way. But I don't, I don't know if I've articulated it, but they changed my sense of time. I love your summary there of Rome especially too. And Paris, it's, it's my favorite city in the world. So when you were talking about sadness, it was interesting to hear because I, I hadn't noticed that before, but I could totally relate to those experiences while being there. What is a life spent traveling and a life spent at sea? taught you both about yourself and about people across the world? Well, I think the way I, the way I talked about sailing across the Atlantic, what it taught me is that I can survive, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you never know what these travels are going, how they're going to impact you, how they're going to affect you. And I lived, uh, we went through it. We had some, you know, we had some just major highs in our lives, just fantastic times. And then we had a, a time where we were broke and and we were really we weren't really sure we're good because we had we had moved our entire place our home across the pond so it was in storage we were broke we have no we had no idea where we were going to live and so i told my partner i said listen i'm going to go live aboard Madi, and i never wanted to live aboard Madi. so um anyway we parked her at a place called lignano sabiodoro and it's about 45 minutes an hour away from venice and i I just lived aboard Madi for six months with my two dogs while my, my partner, while my husband was on a, an IT assignment in Geneva. And I was surrounded by nature. I had nothing. I had no idea what was going to happen. And that time in my life was the most, it was probably the best investment I ever made. And I was surrounded by nature. I just was embraced by nature and it really dictated where I would eventually settle down after this extraordinary odyssey that I wrote about after living in all these different cities and I I ended up here in Piemonte um, nestled up against the Alps surrounded by the Alps the Swiss the French the Italian Alps and it was that time when it was really the low point of my life when it became sort of the most content part of my life and then it would dictate what I would do five years later so, you know, I don't know. Did I answer the question? I mean, you never really know what travel is going to do to you. You know that, right? <laughs> and that's the best part about it as well, I think. Going off on that, how do you think those experiences played a role for the last year that you've had? Because obviously a challenging year for many. How did travel help you assess and progress through the last year? Well, certainly sailing across the Atlantic taught me how to live alone, how to be alone. Because yeah. we were very much alone in the middle of the Atlantic. 
you don't see another boat for days. So you have to learn how to embrace that, which is not that difficult because as we talked about, you have that large white thing called the moon. And I think this last year has been, I, I decided I wanted to live in the middle of nowhere and I wanted to write on my book. I wanted to learn how to listen to trees. But of course, even during lockdown, because I've been in lockdown longer than anyone, and this is hardcore lockdown here in Italy, right? Yeah. So what you learn is you learn about, you learn how to lot, not let social media dictate your life. Um, you you really, I think it's so important if I, if I talk to anyone out there, any of your listeners, is is really just keep working on your imagination, unlocking your imagination, using your imagination, because COVID has really played with our sense of time. And as I spoke earlier, I wrote about all of these countries and how they affected my sense of time. So it's almost like, Randall, I was prepared for it. It hasn't been any easier for me, but it's just the lessons are about surviving, if we can, because I'm still here. And... And, and, and using your imagination. And I'm, you know, I'm also, to be honest, on a flippant side, I'm just glad that I jumped off so many cultural cliffs and I was so crazy about travel when I was, right? Yeah. Because it, it, we don't have it. We didn't have it for you. But I can see you're traveling. <laughs> What's next for you? What projects, plans, events do you have coming up? Any new writings we should be aware of? And can you tell me about your podcast? Yeah, sure. Um, my partner and I have a podcast called A Couple of Europhiles. Mm -hmm. And we focus on cultural realities and dissonance. We've got, uh, we've got Italian businessmen. We've got Scottish writers and directors and American actors. And next week, I think I'm going to have the, uh, the ex-marketing guy for Versace. We've had the odd Irish terrorist, <laughs> the ex, uh, you know, IRA prisoner. So it's, it's been fascinating. It's a real deep dive. We, we do really, we, we do really deep, intense, um, podcasts about history, geopolitical events, so on and so forth. And I would like you to, to know um, my next book, my follow-up book, of course, is called um, Piemonte, mm. The Stories That Need to Be Told, because after this long adventure, I ended up in a place called Piemonte in, uh, here in northwest Italy, about two hours from Milano, uh, an hour and a half from Torino, and uh, about three hours from the south of France and Switzerland. So um, what I'm doing is I'm with something that you're very good at and that you enjoy. Uh, I'm doing 12 interviews with 12 Piemontese and it's fantastic. It's fantastic the, how the interviews are playing out. They're great. So that's an amazing project and it's a great town. I've been there once and I have to say, coincidentally enough, the book that I'm reading right now is about the IRA. I'm interested about the guests that you've had because the book I'm reading is called Say Nothing by Patrick Radden Keefe and it is incredibly intense, but I'm really enjoying that. Randall, I, this couple that I we just interviewed again, they recommended that book to me, and I read it. It's fantastic, isn't it? Oh, you finished it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I've, and I learned so much about it, and it's, it's amazing to me just how recent all of this was. It's not that long ago. And in fact, it's still ongoing. Well, they're talking. That's why we just had a podcast yesterday with this couple, um, this ex-IRA guy. I'd be more than happy to hook you up with them. But uh, the troubles are coming back, not in the same way, but... There's, you know, we're, we're going, it's, a, it's a, again, it's a rocky time, right? So we've got this pandemic and we just need to hope for the best. That's very interesting that you've read that book, you know, Bravissimo, because that book is absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, there is the troubles are coming back in a, in a small way. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, you know, we have, again, this is about cultural realities, you know, growing up in Belfast. Mm -hmm. It's not so abnormal for a 14 year old to, to, to you know, 
hurl a Molotov at the police. I mean, you wouldn't do that in Texas, right? You yeah. wouldn't do that in New York. Um, you know, I didn't grow up doing that in Seattle, but you know, it's uh, these are these are cultural realities, right? In fact, I read a quote just this morning. It was something about in locations with crime, the reason young people go to it is because crime offers internships. Crime offers, you know, jobs for the summer. Crime offers all these things that maybe a young person couldn't find in a regular situation. And so it becomes normal. Do you have any book recommendations or favorite books that you've read during the quarantine of the last year? Oh, gosh. Um, I haven't really, I, I, you know, I've been really enjoying Gary Lockman. Um, he used to be the, the lead guitarist for Blondie, and since the last 25, 30 years, he's lived in London, and he writes all these books about consciousness and young and esotericism and all this stuff. So I really have gotten into him. Uh, he's, he's just got some, again, this is all about the imagination, um, something that we're kind of, you know, losing sight of. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Bailey. For more information, check out baileyalexander.com. You can scoop up her book there and be sure to listen to a couple of Europhiles on cultural realities. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Adiento. Randall has become like, you know, New York's favorite son.